you for choosing to listen to this message. Prepare to be transformed by God's undiluted word. This afternoon I speak to us on the subject God in us. God in us. Remember I was saying to us that I like that line in the song where it says it's just, just a breath away. Indeed that statement in that song is a good summary of my discussion with us today. God in us. Look at your neighbor for me and say to them, God in us. Say to them, God in you. That's, that's what I want to speak to us about today and bring us an awareness and um, hopefully be able, to be able to bring us to a place where you bring out the rivers of life that are indeed ready to break forth from within you. Um, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 We've made reference to this a few times in the last couple of weeks, where the intention of God, as far as mankind is concerned, was clearly stated. God said, let us make man in our image. Let us make him after our likeness. We're making a being that looks like us, that is going to be like us, a being that can relate with us. I said to you today that God created many things up till today, 6,000 years down the line from Genesis chapter 1, new species of, of um, animals, of ants, of, of all kinds of things are still being discovered in all kinds of places all over the world, in jungles, people are still finding, biologists are still finding new creatures. So God in his creation was just magnificent, big. But I said to you that man, and that's you and I, we are the crown jewel, if you like, of God's creation. We are, we are the best that he made. And he made us, listen to me this afternoon, he made us for the first time is made a being that can continue at his level. Everything else that he made, they were, they were nowhere near him. But when he came to time to make man, he said, okay, now we're going to do what we've never done. We're going to make a being that is like us. One of the main reasons why God made a being that was like him was that God wanted a being with whom he could relate so, out of all the animals that God had made, all of them were not like God. They were not beings like God. The only one that was now made that was like God was man. And one of the main reasons for that was that God was looking for somebody that he could relate to. Um, one of the things that will show us how difficult it is for God to be able to relate to any kind or any other being is, remember when God made Adam? He made Adam alone. First of all, there was no Eve. And then God came to Adam and said, ah, I look at this guy, he's lonely. It is not good for him to be alone. And before God made Eve, God did something. He said, let's find him a wife. Let's find Adam a wife. How many people remember what was the first place they went to look to find Adam a wife? Anybody remembers? They looked at the animals. Because at that time, only the animals were there in the world with Adam. So Adam was this man, was in a class by himself, so let's find him a companion. So they actually looked. 
They looked at the gorilla. They looked at the, at the elephant. They looked at all, all of those people. They looked and looked. And the Bible says there was not one found that could be a mate. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God knew they would not find anybody that would be able to be a mate for Adam? Talk to me, everybody. God knew, of course. But God was making the point clear so that man understands. Have you seen that you are not in their class? You can't find anyone. So God now came and made Eve, another being like Adam as well. Now, you can say, oh, yeah, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, looks like me. I'm saying all of that for us this afternoon to make us see the fact that only man and God are made alike. We're completely different from animals. Remember I said to us a few weeks ago, maybe more than a few weeks now, that there was one thing that makes us different from animals. Anybody remembers what it was? Talk to me, everybody. It was our spirit. That's what makes us different from animals. So when God made all of these different people, the, every living thing that God made as a soul, as a body, they can think, they can decide, they can be angry, they can be all of that, they can understand things, they have a will, and all of that. But when it came to man, the main thing that made man different from every other person that God had made was that God made him and gave him a spirit. It was completely different from every other being that God had made. Is that clear to everybody up till this point? Talk to me, everybody, please. You're not talking to me today. I was in Liberia last weekend. They were talking to me. I almost wanted to stay back there, but the pastor would not let me stay. <laughs> he said, go back. Go back to your quiet people. So talk to me, everybody, this morning. <laughs> when, so let's, let's begin to understand a few things here. God made this man and said, okay, for the first time, we have a being that is created, but with whom we can relate. It's like us. It's on our level. And so God continued to relate with the man. When Adam sinned, I'm telling us a story that will lead me to where I'm going today. When Adam committed sin, the very first consequence, the very first impact of Adam entering into sin was that that ability for God to be able to fellowship with him was broken. That was the very first consequence. But this later on, God now came. God is saying, okay, Adam, again, let me ask you a question here. When God came in the garden in Genesis 2, and God was saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? After he had committed sin, do you think God knew that they were hiding from him? Talk to me, everybody. Do you think God knew they were hiding? Yes, of course God knew they were hiding. Most of God is very intentional. So when he was making that sound and saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? He's pointing Adam, he's pointing mankind, he's pointing you and I that will read those scriptures later on. He's pointing us to the fact that now suddenly my man is hiding from me. Now suddenly for the first time, the man that we have made has become spiritually dead. His spirit which makes him different from animals, which allows him to be able to come and relate with God, makes him like God is now dead, is separate from God completely. And God is shouting, Adam, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I have to hide from you. I'm not able to stand before your glory anymore. So I'm saying the first consequence of, of Adam's sin was that fellowship was broken. Now we're getting to where we're going. If that was the first consequence of Adam's sin, when Jesus now came on the cross, can I submit to you this afternoon that the very first outcome of Jesus going to the cross was the restoration of that fellowship as well. Let's go and read our first scripture this afternoon that will show you just what I'm trying to say here. 
Because Adam was now at a point after he had committed sin, where he was no longer, let's put it in today's terms, you will say he was no longer, his spirit was no longer compatible with God. You could not mix them anymore. He was just now a stranger to God. So when Jesus came as well, and he rose from the dead, the first thing that was restored was that fellowship. Mark 15. Let's go to Mark chapter 15. Everybody turn your Bibles there and let's read in it. Remember, I said my subject today is God in us. And we're walking towards that point. God in us. Mark 15. Let's read from verse 33. And this is Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. Mark chapter 15. From verse 33, the Bible says, and when the sixth hour, let me find out, everybody there, Mark 16? Everybody there? Very good. It says, and when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness all over the world, all over the whole land, until the ninth hour. So, this is Jesus now, from the sixth hour is midday, 6, 12 p.m. until 3 p.m. There was darkness in the land. Jesus is hung on the cross. They pierced his side. They pierced his hands. He's there on the cross. They're waiting for him to die. And there was that three-hour period where there was just darkness all over the place. I wanted to picture Jesus on the cross here. And the Bible says in verse 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. I'll deal with that next week. But this morning, let's just continue to read. Jesus cried. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He says, which been interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is up till this point, everything Jesus did, he did as our example. We copy him in everything he did. He healed the sick, we can heal the sick. At this point, Jesus was there as our exchange because now his father that had always been with him has now forsaken him. Bible says in verse 35, and some of them that stood by when they heard it, they said, behold, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them ran in verse 36 and he filled the sponge full of vinegar and he put it on the reed and he gave Jesus to drink saying let let him alone let us see whether Elijah will come down and save him verse 37 Bible says and Jesus cried with a loud voice and he gave up the ghost verse 38 Bible says as he gave up the ghost the veil of the temple was what was rent in two from the top to the bottom. Let me now ask you a question. I'm sure all of us know this scripture. You've read this before. You know what this means. But let me ask you this. At that point, where the veil of the temple was rent in two from top to bottom, had Jesus gone to hell? I'm getting us to think with me now. Had he gone to hell? Had he been there for three days? Had he risen from the dead? He had not yet risen from the dead. So, why is it that we are already beginning to tear then the, the veil that is in front of the temple. Let me begin to say a few points to us that will help us understand this. The veil kept God from man and kept man from God. That veil that was in the temple, it was a divider. 
It kept, it locked up God in the Holy of Holies and locked man out in the holy place. And it was a dividing thing between God and man. Let me read to you from Hebrews 9 verse 8. I, I, I'm, I'm slowly getting into where I'm going and you will get to understand me very well this one. Hebrews 9 and verse 8, the Bible is speaking about that veil. It says the Holy Ghost was signifying in the Old Testament when that veil was still there. It says that it was a signal that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. So Jesus had not yet gone to the grave. Listen to these words that I wrote here. Three days and three nights in hell were required to satisfy the claims of justice for sin. The sin of mankind was not yet redeemed. He had died for three days, three nights in the belly of hell. And then being able to rise was required as a claim of justice for sin. But the way into fellowship was restored even when he was still on the cross. Are you still with me this morning? <laughs> so while Jesus was, we, we were not yet ready. Remember, I'm saying to you that that veil that was in the, in the temple was doing two things. It was keeping God from being able to come to man. It was keeping man from being able to go to God. And you remember when God made man, what was one of the main reasons why God made man is that, or like all the other animals, God could fellowship with man. So all the time throughout these ages, when man and God were separated from each other, not only man was suffering, God was suffering. Are you understanding what I'm saying this morning? So that veil was there. The Bible says the Holy Ghost was using that veil to signify that the way was not yet manifest. So if Jesus died and that curtain was torn, what was he signifying? The way is now manifest. So as far as God was concerned, he is now free to come to man. But until Jesus rose from the dead, man was not yet free to come to God. If you understand up to this point, give me an amen. amen. If you don't understand, say, oh me. Nobody. Okay. <laughs> so we're saying here that God didn't even wait for Jesus to die, to go to hell, to rise from the dead. He's saying, let me out of this place. And the veil was torn from top to bottom. So, the moment Jesus died, God was let out. When you and I now come and give our lives to Christ, we are now ready to come to God. Before you give your life to Christ, God is ready to come to you. When you give your life to Christ, you are ready to come back to God. Remember, when God made man, he was making a unique being. He was the only one that could relate with God. He was like God. He was in the image of God. He was in the likeness of God. When Adam committed sin, that, that thing was cut off. The veil was raised between God and man. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn in two. God was ready to come to man. Jesus died and rose from the dead. And then when you and I come, we give our lives to Jesus. Our spirits are recreated. We can come back to God again. So the, the whole idea really of, of a child of God like you, like me, 
when we say we've given our lives to Jesus, it's not so much that we can be able to um, come to church, that we can be able to say, I'm a Christian, that we can be able to, um, when we have problems, um, go to God and ask God for things. Really, the whole idea of Jesus going to the cross, of, of us being saved, of him dying, of shedding his blood, of going to hell, was to tear down this veil. Let God come to man, let man come to God. That's the idea of it. Can I get an amen to that this afternoon? <laughs> It's really a shame when we then give our lives to Jesus and we begin to do and focus on every other thing that comes along with that while we have forgotten the real key reason why he went to the cross. The main thing that was lost by Adam was that ability to fellowship. One key thing that Jesus, that God didn't even wait for him to rise up before restoring was the ability for man to come to God, for God to come to man. And then you and I now get saved and somewhere, somehow, we begin to chase other things. I was listening to a pastor recently and he was saying that, this was a pastor in Nigeria, and he was saying that um, the church built a place for Youth coppers. Youth coppers are these people who just finished the degree from either a polytechnic or university or something, and then they have a year where they have to serve the country, so it is said, and they are posted to different parts of the country, which is not their home, and many times they're suffering. So the pastor saw an opportunity and said, okay, I'm going to build a little place. Youth coppers can come and they can stay there, and while they stay there, then they will be able to be coming to our church. The reason I'm putting them there is so that they can come to church. Then he said, some of them, I put them there, and I don't want to come to church. So I go and I evict them from the place. <laughs> and the point he was making was, the reason I built the place is not just because I wanted to house anybody. I wanted them, so it is clear when you come, I'm putting you there because I need you to come to church. If you don't go and stay there, then you, if you don't go to church, then don't stay there. So Jesus, I'm saying that this afternoon because Jesus went to the cross. You thought he was just for fun? Talk to me, everybody. Or we think he went to the cross just so that, um, just so that you can get a job. People that have never met Jesus have jobs. How many people know people who have never met Jesus who have jobs? <laughs> somebody say, he went to the cross so that I can have money. You know somebody who, who curses Jesus and has some money? That can't be why he went to the cross. The reason he went to the cross has to be something that nobody else can have unless they come to the cross. And those things that only happen at the cross, they must now become the key things that we're looking at in our lives. <laughs> when you give your life to Christ, my friends, your spirit is recreated so that you can come. Adam was running away. Your spirit is recreated so that you can come. Let me now begin to get into this and ask us a few questions here. When you give your life to Christ, you are recreated. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Behold, all things become new. It's a new man. You are recreated. So God, just like he had the chance in Genesis 1, to make a fresh man, Adam, made in his image, in his likeness, and that man was as powerful as God, God looked at that man and said, go and be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and have dominion. It was that strong. 
Down the line, thousands of years, you now come and say, I accept Jesus as my Lord, I confess him, and I give my life to Jesus. And the Bible says what happens is your spirit is recreated. I want you to now cast your mind back to Genesis 1.26. Exactly what God did there is what he does every time somebody comes and gives their life to Jesus. The question now is this. Do you think God will do a better job or do you think he will do a worse job than what he did the first time? I want us to think about that. When he made Adam the first time, Adam was tipped up, perfect, was good. So, so good that God said, the work I am doing, you are now able to continue it. You can now continue to multiply, to replenish. The garden of Eden I've given to you, you can spread it all over the world. That Eden was that perfect. God now, every time you and I come and say we want to give our lives to Christ, he has the opportunity to recreate a human spirit again. I'm asking you this morning, do you think God is likely to do a worse job than he did the first time? Talk to me, everybody, please. I want you to think about that. No, no. No. When you give your life to Jesus and your spirit is recreated, that recreated human spirit inside you, my friends, in its worst condition, is at least as good as Adam was. It's as good as God, can walk where God walks, is as strong as God, can hear God, can walk in the places, can create, can heal, can make whole, like God can make whole. Can have dominion, can multiply, can replenish like Adam could, like God can. I can tell you this this afternoon. Um, I would be wrong to say that God made it better than Adam. Because if I say God made it better, it would mean that when God made Adam, he didn't do his best. Adam was his best. When he recreated you, you were his best. But in one area, we are better than what Adam was. You know what area that is? When God made Adam, that was God, that was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they were there, and they made Adam and Eve, and they were looking. When God recreated you and I, he said, okay, I'm going to do one more step that I didn't take before. I'm going to now come and live inside you. So the same way that God came in the garden, and God was calling Adam and said, Adam, Adam, where are you? It's the same way that God is calling you and I today. One big difference is this. Unlike Adam, where God was calling from outside, today God is calling from inside. I hope somebody's understanding something this morning. Galatians chapter 4, let's go and read. The recreated human spirit, I've kept on saying, I'll keep on saying. It's made like God, it's full like God. It can well walk where God walks. It's perfect and complete like God. Our problem many times is that perfection is locked up inside and not given fullness of expression. <laughs> Galatians chapter 4. Everybody turn your Bibles there. Galatians chapter 4. I'll read verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6. It says this. It says, but when, this is, this is really where we are today. I'm, I'm, I'm taking all this journey to paint a perspective in your mind, beginning from God's intention for making man, Adam, or making him our image, or be like us. We can't find a wife for him among any other, no other being is like him. So we make another one like him, Eve, just like him, and they will be, they will be here, they will do what we can do. Wherever they go, it's like if God has come there, is what it's going to be. We'll continue to fellowship. 
Then Adam did what he did, and Jesus came and restored us. We go back to Genesis. Now look at this, Galatians 4, verse 4. The Bible says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Then in verse 6, where I'm going today, he says, and because you are sons, remember when the Bible speaks about sons or men like this, it's talking about mankind. He says, because you are sons, so there are no daughters or anything, you are sons of God, because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into where? Talk to me, everybody. Sent for the spirit into where? Into your heart. And therefore, together, your spirit and the spirit of the son inside your heart, they now begin to cry, Abba, Father. That's where we are today. God is in us. I said, God is in us. Now, that might sound like, what are you talking about? I want us, and I'm going to spend as much time as I need to spend on it in the coming weeks, in the coming months, until an image forms on the minds of every one of us. God lives in me. God lives in me. <laughs> and that puts us in a place where even Adam could not have boasted to have been. God lives in me. He says, because you have become sons now, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart. Many times when we read scriptures like that, and this afternoon, I'm going to read us multiple scriptures like that. When we read scriptures like that, many times we read them philosophically, that, okay, God is with us. God. No, no, no. When you read and you see the abundance of references to God in us, hopefully a revelation begins to come inside you, really, God lives in me. When that revelation comes to you, that God lives in you, you will now begin, you will become this inside-minded Christian. You look for solutions inside. You look for anointings inside. <laughs> you look for your breakthroughs inside. You're not waiting for some man somewhere to come and lay hands or somebody to come. You look, you, 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 your, your attention changes and you begin to look inside. You come to a point where actually when you stand, you know, usually when we want to pray, what we do many times is we look up to God. That's a cultural thing that has happened to us over the years. But if you understand what I'm talking about now, when you are looking for God, you will actually look inside. Uh, I hope I'm talking to somebody this afternoon. There are two things that happen as a result of that which I shared today. I'll deal with one of them for the rest of my time today, and the second one I'll deal with next Sunday. The first one is this. Number one, outcome and consequence of this, this thing that we're talking about here is that you can no longer, and I, and I said this in person a few weeks ago, and now getting to begin to deal with it in detail, you can no longer independently speak about the recreated human spirit on its own. It's not on its own. That's what I want to deal with today a little bit. You, you can't talk about the spirit of Mr. This, the spirit of Mr. That. No, your spirit and the Holy Spirit are now intricately linked together. You can no longer independently refer to that recreated human spirit. He says, because you have become sons, he sent the spirit of his son to live, not to dwell with you, to live in you. <laughs> so, every time we look at you, we talk about you now, it's a union of God and man. 
If I know you after the flesh, I only know you physically. But if I know you after the spirit, I can't know you alone. It's a union. You, your spirit now, is not alone. It's a union of God and man. Actually, if you look at it, you are a God man. <laughs> Do you accept that in your spirit this afternoon? Because there are things that can be said and your spirit doesn't take it. Doesn't, religion fights it inside you. But hopefully as we look at the Bible this afternoon, you will embrace it and say, actually, I'm a God man. <laughs> so that's what we're dealing with today. The second part of this that we'll deal with next Sunday is that as a result of the cross, that God-man fellowship is now back at the center of the stage. The God-man fellowship is now at the center of God's mind. And I'll, I'll, look, I'll look at that. That where Jesus was crying, Sabachthani. I'll deal with that next Sunday. It was a cry of distress. Next Sunday, I'll say to us the fact that every child of God that is in a place where your back is turned on God and you don't have a fellowship, a deep fellowship with God, you are in a place of distress. That's what Jesus was crying on the cross. He said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It was a cry of distress for the first time. This Jesus, who all through his life, I mean, he's 33 at that stage, all through his life, he always said, whatever you hear me say is what my father has said to me. Whatever you see me do is what I saw my father do. He was in this constant fellowship with the father. And then suddenly, as he was there in exchange for you and me, suddenly for the first time, the father turned his back on him. And he could feel it, he knew it, his whole life was in distress. He said, my God, my God, <laughs> this is hard, he was saying. We'll deal with that next Sunday. It's, it's a shame, really, if I give my life to Jesus and I'm still in that place. And many Christians, really, are in that place. My life's mission is to ensure that nobody that comes to church with us is in that place. Thank you for listening to this message. Please hit the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes. For questions, please send an email to Pastor Mo at thestonechurchberlin.com. God bless you.